Ballerinas. I'm your host, Georgia Dostal, and this is the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. This is the podcast where we chat mindset, self-development, the power of movement, nutrition, small business, goal setting, and of course, the power of ballet. And most importantly, finding balance within this beautiful art form. Most episodes contain a behind the scenes into my life, running two businesses, GC Dance for school-age students and Balanced Ballerinas for adult ballet students. I've also interviewed some pretty amazing guests on here, so make sure you go back and check out some earlier episodes. If you're new around here, the schedule is every fortnight this episode drops and it's brought to you by Balanced Ballerinas Academy, my in-person adult ballet classes and online courses. All links in the show notes below or head to balanceballerinas.com for further information about joining our really wonderful community. Now, today, yes, I've got some questions for you. Are you the ballet student who's given birth to two children and needs to run out of class to the bathroom after Petit Allegro? (laughs) Or perhaps you keep hearing about your pelvic floor and you don't quite understand what that is, let alone how to strengthen it. Or you might be like me, who at the time of recording this episode thought she wouldn't need to worry about her pelvic floor health, but left this conversation knowing she definitely should take control of this very important area and not neglect it. This conversation, if you answered yes to any of that, is for you. Kat is a Gold Coast-based physiotherapist with additional training in pelvic and continence health. Drawing on her own experience as an Olympic athlete, Kat strives to work with her clients to ensure that they are working towards their own goals and providing them with the tools in which they need to prevent injury throughout all stages of life. Educating and empowering others in order to become the master of their own bodies and health is really how Kat practices as a physiotherapist and you'll hear this come through in our beautiful conversation and I'm really proud to say and I was so impressed by our conversation that after this conversation I was absolutely convinced to be responsible for my own pelvic health at the time of recording I was about 34 35 weeks pregnant and um, straight away when Kat left I booked in one of Kat's at-home appointments for after baby boy was born so she can check in with my own pelvic health. So by the time this episode comes out, I will have actually had my checkup and I'll need to report back. So I promise to report back with another episode. Thank you, Kat, for sharing your incredible knowledge and passion with the Balanced Ballerinas community. And before I jump into our conversation, at the very end when Kat and I are saying goodbye to each other and I ask her what keeps her balanced, et cetera, et cetera, we stopped recording and then I was like, Oh my gosh, I had one really important question I needed to ask you and I forgot to ask it. And if you are currently prenatal or postnatal as well, you are going to want to hear the answer to this question. So make sure when we're saying our goodbyes, you don't stop the episode. (laughs) Yes, keep listening because we jump back on and she answers my question that I just forgot to ask because we were just having such a lovely time in a very casual conversation. So enjoy and thank you so much, Kat. Welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast, Kat. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Now I've given you a lovely intro, but I would love you to share your story in your own words um, about your athletic journey. Let's start with that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I actually spent the first 10 years of my athletic journey in ballet 
Um, so a lot of people don't know, but ballet for me until I was about 12 years old was my life. I loved it and I grew up doing it um, as I was growing up in Singapore. And In Singapore? Yeah. I Another little thing, story to my life is I was born and grew up in Singapore. Um, I've never been, but yeah. like my husband says that it's amazing and he thinks I'd really like it because it's very clean. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's, um, they call it a fine city because you can't have chewing gum because... It's dirty, like chewing gum is banned in yeah. the country. Um, I love that rule. Yeah, and so things are like there's lots of fines, like you can't litter, you can't do a lot of stuff which makes it clean. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was an interesting childhood and I loved it. Like I grew up in an Australian school, so it was very mm. Aussie, I guess, in that aspect. But um, yeah, I grew up doing ballet and swimming because it was so hot there. Yeah. Um, and I moved to Australia to Melbourne when I was 12 um, and went to boarding school and then I think I don't know what it was about maybe the boarding school environment but ballet and swimming both fell off the radar I think um, just having a different environment not having my parents to maybe take me to classes or sessions Um, we're attached to a private school uh, with our second location and they've got borders and I agree it is so hard to navigate them being able to come mm. to classes regularly and yep. maintain you know their love of dance it's really tricky it's so yeah. hard it's it's you sort of find yourself at a, such a young age being so independent so quickly yeah like I found I was having to get myself up at 4am and walk myself to the school pool to get to swimming or you had to kind of find your own community within a dance studio or mm. You know, if there were recitals or if there were costumes to make, you just didn't have that support. Yeah. Yeah. And so I sort of took a bit of time off, I guess, sport and extracurricular activities for probably a year or two. Um, I found myself in cheerleading for a year or two. Love it. um, Which, again, is something that really surprises people. So was a national champion. I can picture it. (laughs) I think it was from my dancing... um, background as well as having some upper body strength with swimming and I did some gymnastics and whatnot but that didn't last too long because I don't think it really suited my personality (laughs) I really couldn't keep up with the private school cheerleading group weren't into the big bows and the sparkles no and the slicked hair and the the pom-poms and like albeit the stunt routines were amazing and heaps of fun it was quite very athletic um but I just yeah I didn't quite suit um and then I think I fell into um a bit of mixture of rowing and kayaking um in my later years of high school and I kind of also found that kayaking was kind of like the uncool version of rowing and it was a bit more community-based and you know, private school rowing is a very elite. Oh, it's such a thing. Yeah, and like Mel, I would, you know, I went to a very good school in Melbourne. That it was a, it like I remember my mum came to a regatta once when she was visiting visiting me from Singapore, and she was like, "Cat, I don't fit in here." And I was like, "I don't either, mum." <laughs> so I kind of fell into paddling or kayaking, and I just I had you know friends and you know my friends' older siblings that did it too, and it was just a really big community sport and then I guess when I found myself out of school um, I really wanted to keep pursuing it and I've always had this athletic drive and I've always been determined and I've always 
you know, just loved sport. My family's always yeah. been healthy and active. And so I guess um, I fell into paddling and made a couple of junior national teams and kind of started off my paddling journey in a marathon sport, which actually isn't an Olympic discipline okay. with paddling um there's like two branches oh, actually there's multiple branches one of which includes the slalom sport which is like the downhill rapids which is yeah. kind of like the cool cousin okay. of what I did yeah um and then within the flat water discipline there's marathon and sprint interesting yeah so I and ma- like marathon is 24 kilometers whereas sprint is 500 meters. And sprint's included in the Olympics. Sprint is included in the Olympics. And so I did a couple of marathon junior teams when I was younger and went to world championships and kind of you hit the ceiling very quickly. And so if you wanted to go further or if your goals were higher, you kind of had to switch disciplines. Mm. Um, So I found myself going into sprint and then looking for institutes of sport that supported that program. Victoria, like the BIS didn't at the time. Um, And so I kind of looked around different states and also having finished high school, I started my physiotherapy degree. And at the time, um, the South Australian Sports Institute, so SASE, and um, offered me a scholarship all my family are actually from Adelaide, so went to I actually school. love Adelaide. It's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. Like it's an underrated city, and I say this I on a podcast. I think it's totally <laughs> underrated. Yeah. I say this on the podcast and hope that it doesn't go crazy, um, because it's. <laughs> I think the subtlety of Adelaide is what makes it quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, like it's a major city, but it's not Melbourne or Sydney. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I also applied for physio at UniSA and they're one of the only unis that let you do physio part-time at that time. Um, I think more may allow it now, but I just needed that flexibility to do part-time study yeah. with my training. And train for the Olympics. And training for the Olympics. So moved to Adelaide in like 2014, started my physio degree, started with the Sports Institute was making national teams and then I actually just missed out on the Rio Olympics um, at trials there so I sort of had to kind of refocus and I decided to put a good year of my time into my physio degree because that was really important to me I've always been very um, instilled by my family that study is important and so having those two um, going at the same time was important to me and knuckled down and ended up graduating the year after um and then after that I was like I don't want to miss well I missed Rio yeah I don't want to miss the next one and the national program was based on the Gold Coast at the time so I decided no decent physio clinic is going to hire me if I'm traveling interstate and international most of my year so why don't I move to the Gold Coast eliminate any interstate travel Mm -hmm. find a job train hard (laughs) and then make the Olympics in 2020 amazing did that in 2020 in March, then COVID happened. Oh. So we had our national trials the week before lockdown started. So we got selected and the AOC, the Australian Olympic Committee said, yep, you're on, along with maybe 40 other athletes that have already done their trials. Yeah. And then the International Olympic Committee said, Olympics aren't happening. And so, 
it still gives me goosebumps. Um, and so we were in this limbo and there was like 45, maybe 50 athletes in Australia that had already been selected. You're like, I've literally just moved interstate. I've done so many things yeah. <laughs> to get to this point. And, um, and then I think the week later, it was said that the Olympics aren't cancelled, they're postponed. Mm. And then the Australian Olympic Committee came out and said any athlete who has already been selected remain selected interesting because i was going to ask that yeah were they going to make you do the trials again? yeah so <laughs> rowing australia had their trials planned the week after yeah and so they didn't get their trials done because lockdown happened of so those so they had like, to do it later yeah so there would have been so many sports in that situation too like mm. i think we took 450 athletes to the olympics so only 45 out of the 400 so 10 percent had been selected and those 50 people of which I was one got to sit tight for 18 months with our Olympic ticket. Yeah. But yeah, you, you got to do your trials at the top of your game. You were, yeah. you were you know, still, whereas those ones that would have had to wait, yep. they would have had to continue trying yep. to train, which is not the same yep. like on their own. Oh, that's and awful. Like, I never thought of that. Yeah. So it did affect a lot of athletes. And I think for me at the time, like COVID was, I feel like everyone had a COVID thing. Yeah. Like, I had a friend whose wedding got postponed multiple times. I had, you know, people who had babies and their families were interstate, mm-hmm. so they couldn't visit. Like, I think, and just for me, the Olympics being postponed was my COVID thing. Yeah. Um, so I think everyone has had their thing and I think it was all relative and totally what, not a really weird time, but I got to sit there for 18 months knowing I was going to get selected. And for me, I also was knowing I was going to retire because for me the goal was the olympics like ever since i was a little girl the goal was the olympics and so i think after missing rio knowing i mean i'm i hadn't turned 30 yet but knowing my age i also was really passionate about my physio degree and so kayaking at my sport at the time was very much taking away from being able to be a good physio or doing it full-time so i kind of knew that retirement was on the cards and I literally sat there for 18 months and was like, I have got 18 months to make this, to make this dream happen dream happen, and to make it happen to the best of my ability, um, which was kind of a really special space to be in, um, knowing you were going to retire and not waiting for injury or not waiting for yeah. little Sally to come beat you because she's two years oh, yeah. younger than you. Yeah, <laughs> Just, and coming up behind. Yeah, literally. So I had a really good lead into the Olympics and then, yeah, the Olympics were epic. I... I was going to say, so what was the experience like? Oh my gosh, I mean, I'm sure they were different because of COVID, but I didn't know any different. So for me, they were still in the Olympics and I reckon my cheeks hurt so much by the end of the two weeks (laughs) of being in the village because I was just smiling all the time. Oh, that's so cute. Um, I had really close friends I was on a team with and so we just had this incredible experience and I remember, like for us, our goal was to make the final. Like you you have a heat, because I was in the, the four-person 500-meter yeah. race. So four-person boat, 500 meters takes 90 seconds. Um, and we had a heat, a quarterfinal, a semifinal, and a final. Mm-hmm. And to make the final, it was top eight. And so for us as a team, our goal was to just make the final. Like that would have been, for our standards, really, really good. Like that was our decided goal. And so we we did that and we made uh, – the semifinal was like – I remember lining up and just thinking, 
like this is it like this is I just have to work so hard and it was a photo finish and if you ask any of my family and friends they said it was the most freaking nerve-wracking minute of their life waiting for the photo finish to come up because we were on the cusp of making that final um and then making the final was incredible and I remember sitting on the start line of the final and I said to myself I was like I've got this next 90 seconds is going to be the hardest 90 seconds I probably have to work for the rest of my life like (laughs) let's see how much I can hurt myself how's that pressure like it makes me just like oh my god no it was so exciting because I I think I mean athletes are built differently obviously because they like to punish themselves but I was like I want to see how much similar to ballet dancers (laughs) (laughs) exactly I want to see how much I can make my muscles hurt I've got 90 seconds to do what I can like that's nothing think of all the minutes you live in your life like 90 seconds is nothing and so we got seventh, which was, you know, we beat one person, which was epic. And I don't know, I was just, yeah, left on a high. And, so good. And that was 2021. So it's been almost two years now since the games. And you've got your rings on your wrist to prove it. I did. I actually only got them about two weeks ago. Oh, really? My mum. Tattoo, in case anyone didn't yes. quite get that, that um, yep. reference. Rings on my left hand. Not, <laughs> not in that way. Um uh yeah my mum bet me about eight or nine years ago we were sitting in the car in Adelaide and she was like Kat because my sorry my family did eventually move home from Singapore yeah um she said Kat if you make the Olympics you I'll pay for your tattoo and I'll get one at the same time and I was like whatever mum like you're not getting a tattoo what did she get so obviously not the Olympic rings no she (laughs) although she she's fit she could um she she hadn't decided at the time, but and I kind of forgot about it. And so many people, when you get back from the Olympics, like, when are you going to get your tattoo? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I just, I never needed that validation. Validation. Of everyone look. No. Yeah. And, um, and so I took a while to get it. And then about maybe three or four months ago, mum was like, hey, when are we cashing in on that bet? And I just thought, I was like, you know what? If for anything, it's for the fact that mum and I made an agreement that I was going to work hard. I was going to achieve this goal. And then she was going to get my tattoo. Um, but she got, um, she got the numbers eight, eight, nine, two. So my brother was born in 88. My sister was born in 89 and I was born in 92. So four numbers give all our birth years. Mm. So she got that tattoo. Cute. Um, so mum came up to the Gold Coast about a month ago to visit me. So me and mum went and got oh, you know, tattoos so on a Saturday morning, which was great. And she flipped the bill. So it was also very good. Excellent. Well, I think it's a great talking point with your clients as a physiotherapist, you yeah. know, in case they don't know your background and they just then yep. ask. So and my watch good. fits perfectly over it. So if I yeah. you know, don't want the conversation, then I just cover it. Amazing. So easy. And so speaking of your role now as a physiotherapist, yep. Um, what was the fascination with pelvic and continence health? How yep. did that become your specialty? I, I guess so many people were like, oh my God, you're an athlete. So you're going to be a sports physio. Mm. And I was like, uh-uh, I've seen what I've made my sports physio do. I don't want that. <laughs> um, I did a placement in my final year of uni at the women's and children's hospital in Adelaide on the postnatal ward. And I had no idea it existed. And I think... I was just blown away by the area of physio that I don't think many people know exists and yeah. the impact that it can have in such a special time in someone's life. And I also, if I didn't do physio, I may have done teaching because I love kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, 
I don't mind being around babies and I think they're adorable. <laughs> so it's a little bonus. Um, but I, I just, I like advocating for something that isn't, isn't, I guess, popular. And so. Yeah. What's beautiful is it is actually becoming more popular. Yes. And I'm selfishly going to use the rest of this episode mm, yep. to make it all about me. Perfect. Um, <laughs> as the pregnant person in the room. But as we were trying to work out before we started recording, by the time this episode comes out, I'll be three months postpartum. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll need a checkup visit from Kat. Yes. <laughs> Please. Yes. <laughs> so, um, I've been asked by so many people, what are you doing? Have you seen a physiotherapist? Have you, you know, everyone's throwing recommendations at me. And I'll be honest, all I have done is Google. No, no, I haven't (laughs) even done that. I have continued teaching ballet. Mm. I really haven't stopped teaching. I'm obviously not jumping around doing Mm -hmm. like Grand Allegro, which is like massive big jumps, but I'm, I'm being sensible, but I'm pretty much doing what I've always done. Yep. Am I silly? Should I have seen someone by now? Because I'm about to give birth in like five weeks. <laughs> um, I'm going to advocate for my profession and say yes. Yep. <laughs> but I'm going to advocate for you and every pregnant mum out there and say what you've done is perfect by continuing doing what you're doing and staying healthy and staying strong. You're, you're helping yourself. You're helping your new bub. Like the, I think history and it is changing like you said it's becoming a more known area but history has shown that I think we've been too conservative with our pregnant Mm. population and we've said oh you're pregnant go rest go sit on the couch and kick your feet up for nine months yeah which is literally the opposite to what we now know in the research is what we need or what mums new mums need um reducing risk of things like preeclampsia neonatal um complications long stage labor and and recovery afterwards are all reduced like all those risks are reduced by engaging in physical activity and exercise during pregnancy and i think the pregnant period or the pregnant time phase in your life is the one where you get to really use the whole concept of how you feel like if you are comfortable you are you are confident doing what you're doing mm. like if you're a runner and you can run until 38 weeks great I mean I'd enlist a women's health physio just to keep everything going but if you're a runner and at 12 weeks you get pain or you get this uncomfortable feeling then stop like yeah really using your intuition and your gut which I think mums have an incredible a, like superpower of having it's a time where you use that to guide you so if you're feeling good dancing then keep dancing yeah um but I think the education and so much of what lots of women say especially like you know my mum or your mum's generation will be like no one told me this yeah like it's not that you're doing anything wrong but there's just some preventative things like we're living longer we're having babies later Mm. so yes when you were 14 and you had your baby like 10 babies within a five-year span which is no that's probably not possible um but <laughs> I know what you mean. your tissue quality and your recovery was so much better but now yeah. that we're having babies later which is fine but we're living longer so we're actually giving our bodies more of a chance to maybe have these issues you know pelvic floor wise and prolapse mm. and things like that that we weren't having hundreds of years ago because we weren't living past the age of 50. Yeah. Um, so women's health physios during a pregnancy is really important for just like almost just education. Like I do a lot of telehealth because you don't 
necessarily have to touch people's bodies to empower them with all the information that they need Mm. um yeah it's it's interesting like mum was hounding you before (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I had to drop my business card down there (laughs) oh my god it was so funny mum was hounding you before we even came up here to record the the episode and she's like because we were talking about the fact and I've already spoken about this in a previous episode that's come out about the fact I'm having a Mm c-section and mum was like I gave birth naturally to three children and I've got so many issues down there and yeah and she goes and I did my exercises yeah and she's going to come out on this episode and kill me but that's fine um when this episode comes out but are we doing were we doing them wrong did that generation not have the information or the support Mm -hmm. or do you know what I mean like what's your opinion on that I mean yes there's a lot of potential that people are doing things wrong and it's not necessarily that a pelvic floor exercise like there's so many more things at play with things like incontinence or prolapse it's not just about muscle strength there's fascia there's mm. you know people who are genetically more predisposed like the hypermobile population yeah those ligaments exist in which your, is a lot of dancers yes those ligaments exist in your pelvis and so the ligaments that exist to sling up and support your pelvic organs baby or no baby um will ultimately have a lax effect uh, over time and so it may not be a muscle strength issue maybe a coordination issue it may be that you're too tight your muscles are too Mm. overactive and doing exercises actually aren't helpful because you're kind of doing the opposite thing to what they need that's what I was going to ask you because a lot of people have said to me it's so funny as soon as you fall pregnant and everyone just gives you like all the advice. You are a pin board of advice. People just want to stick <laughs> post-it notes on you. Yeah. And they're like, you need to be really careful because doing all the physical activity that mm-hmm. you do, you probably have an overactive, mm-hmm. um, you know, pelvic floor. What does that even mean? Yeah. Let's go back. Actually, we should even take a step back further mm-hmm. and define pelvic floor. Yeah. So your pelvic floor is everything that exists within the pelvic bone cavity. So you're talking like people throw I do my pelvic floor exercise all the time but it's really pelvic floor muscle exercises like if we're being truly technical so you've got your bladder your uterus your bowel those are the organs that sit within your pelvic floor um, and then the passages that come down through each of them so Mm. your bladder's got your urethra your uterus has got your vagina and your rectum's got your anus so you've got all those that also they I guess transmit through the pelvic floor muscle layers um you've got ligaments you've got nerves blood vessels there's a lot going there's on. a lot going on but what i guess we can focus more on are the pelvic floor muscles of which there are two layers some layers are involved in the gravitational support of the organs and some layers are literally involved in kinking the hoses for each of those passages mm. um and also a misconception is that your pelvic floor is just the front it's both passages um, and so it's important to let people know that because which is why men can have pelvic floor issues too oh my gosh I love telling men that they have <laughs> pelvic floor and then them telling me that they don't need to because they don't have babies some men don't even think they need to do inner thigh strengthening because that's a baby pushing muscle and like oh my mm-hmm. god that's so naive it's <laughs> it's fun like nuts to guts is what you say to men um nuts to guts 
<laughs> Hamish and Andy, I don't know if people listen to Hamish and Andy, but Hamish had a podcast six months ago that was talking about how he's aging and he's like, I can't hold in farts as well in these days. Oh I wonder gosh. how you fix that. And I'm screaming at my car <laughs> thinking pelvic floor, pelvic that floor. That is so yeah. funny. That is so, so people funny. just don't even know. So yes, that's the pelvic floor. And I guess second to that and where physios come in is pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm. And that's like, that's a case of when your pelvic floor muscles aren't functioning in a normal capacity and it can be due to increased tone in those muscles or decreased tone of why those tone directions happen are different for everybody and that's why going and having a pelvic floor assessment and going through a really long history of which we ask you about when your first period was were they painful periods and if you had bedwetting problems as a child or mm. constipation or anything like that we it nothing is tmi in a women's health physio appointment um and so i guess this yeah misconception that if you're incontinent and you leak it's because your muscles are weak yeah which is so incorrect because imagine like if if you're imagine your pelvic floor is your shoulders and i'll demonstrate so no one can see me but if your 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 shoulders are lifted and the action of lifting your shoulders creates continence if they're already high and you go to sneeze cough or jump there's nowhere for them to go yeah and so they're kind of at this stuck where you get really tight muscles are also really weak muscles and so they're in this really shortened range they just can't do anything about those increases in pressure which causes your bladder to leak um and so overactive pelvic floor muscles can lead to incontinence and so you have social media out there and if people talk about making sure you do your pelvic floor exercises and you've got an overactive pelvic floor but you're doing pelvic floor exercises incorrectly you're probably making the problem worse so what should someone with an overactive pelvic floor be doing then um, seeing women's health physio. Yes, first and foremost. <laughs> yes, first yes. and foremost. So what we'll often find is a really disconnected pattern with people's breathing and their diaphragm. Their people, um, your diaphragm has such a strong connection to your pelvic floor. And if people are over bracing and they're always sucking in their belly and mm. they're kind of breathing through their shoulders and not getting that natural movement of their diaphragm, then they're not getting the natural movement of their pelvic floor too because the two work together. And so if you're constantly tucking in... um, So I'm actually... I do a lot of stuff with teaching people how to breathe and how to do belly breaths and how to... I'm so glad to hear this because this is now just another reason why I can add you know yep. why I incorporate so much breath work mm. into my ballet classes yeah it was funny I had a formative observation assessment yesterday with a diploma in dance that I'm mm-hmm. doing and the lady who came out to observe and watch and you know yeah critique me she said after class and we had like our debrief yeah she goes I love and I've never really seen someone incorporate so much like breath work mm-hmm. and breathe in and reminding their students to breathe out. She's like, I just don't really see it in ballet classes. Yeah. So that's just given me yep. another reason as to why we do it. Yep. Especially in a population. Healthy pelvic floors. Yeah. And in a population of dancers who are probably more at risk of developing that hyper active or hypertonic pelvic floor that's what i was going to say yeah is this coming back to the initial question about everyone telling me i probably have a hyperactive pelvic mm. floor yes is, maybe not because i'm doing all the deep maybe breath not work. maybe your pelvic floor is brilliant it's it's when we say that 
dancers or elite athletes are at higher risk of this doesn't mean that everyone is it just means they're at a higher risk gotcha so that's what i wanted to know so there there is some there is some traction to what people are telling me that it is very common in athletes and yeah yeah so i think i mean i sort of read a study that have numbers up to 43 percent of ballet dancers experience incontinence Mm. but we aren't gonna lump them all in one category of saying they all have really weak pelvic floors but we know that the the bracing and the tucking in of your pelvis and the gripping of your external rotators of which is in dancing yeah can and so that you're creating these tight and weak structures all around the pelvis is gonna most likely lead to an overactive pelvic floor makes complete sense Mm. Mm. and so it's crazy to say, but breathing is a really big one. Mm. Breathing and creating functional range of movement within someone's pelvic floor um, is the first step. But I guess you can't, if you don't know that it's there, then how do you know to fix it? So that's where pelvic health physios, ones that are trained um, specifically in the area of assessment of pelvic floor, um, are really helpful in, in I guess educating people and allowing them to do the exercises in a correct way yeah it's so funny over the years when I'm teaching a ballet class Mm -hmm. and I've got um because obviously I was explaining to you we have lots of adults Mm -hmm. and so we'll be doing a small jumping exercise yeah and then like five women are like I need to go to the bathroom (laughs) yeah the (laughs) pre-wee yes and everybody says to me Georgia you will understand one day yeah and I hope (laughs) you don't though I hope I don't too. Because I mean, my story is going to be a little bit different with yes. going for a, a, having a cesarean. Yes, but I just want to say Let's that talk about that. doesn't eliminate you. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> yes. Tell me why. Yeah. Tell me why I'm not off the hook. Yes. Um, do we go back to the, the women jumping? Oh, it was just, well, it's probably even as we go into a, a bit of a postnatal chat, mm, yeah. you know, how, how can, can I help my students or, yeah. or should they, is it? too late to go see someone in your 50s 60s no to start working on this yeah. so you don't have to run out of class <laughs> yeah it's it's the classic it's common yes. but it's not normal so people have normalized it because everyone they speak to also said it and i think i've you know i'm watching firefly lane at the moment and there's so many references to no star jumps no jumping because you've had kids and i'm screaming at my tv being like oh my gosh who is making this an accepted yeah. concept that you have kids and say goodbye to the trampoline for the rest of your life because and you can you just need to sort it out just like any other <laughs> muscle in your body things are rehabable yeah if that's a word um i'm probably going to jump in there and like because there'll be people screaming at us going well ladies especially because like you know i don't have a child yet so i don't know how busy this all becomes yes. when i have a child you know yep. mothers and women put everyone course. before themselves yep. and they probably know that they should have seen a women's yeah. physio and but maybe this is the little push to yeah it's your time now off you go like yep. book in that appointment and and you don't have to run out of Take time. <laughs> of course and i and i do and i and i sympathize that with that concept of i sit here as a athletic previously athletic you, know, you still look pretty athletic to um, me. <laughs> non, non-mother. Like I haven't gone through what I'm educating a lot of my yeah. clients to do. So there is that level of, I guess, disconnect. It's and tricky, isn't it? Okay. It is. It is we're very both, tricky. We're both being screamed at right yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get it. Um, 
but it's it's definitely something you can do like it's it's making it work within your like mums are the champions of multitasking Mm. and if it's if it's important it will get done true um and there are really you know tricky and sneaky ways that we can um help you incorporate into your daily life but it is it's an un unprioritized area of antenatal care even just going through the birth process where everyone says, as long as my baby is okay, what about you and your pelvic floor? Like, mm. what about, what about <laughs> your years to come? What, like, yeah, healthy baby, but I've got a fourth degree tear. Yeah. Like, what could we have avoided that? And yeah. So. I think society is getting a little bit better. I, fe- I feel like I see a lot about, Definitely. I mean, especially maybe it's because my Instagram feed is just mm. full of like yep. baby and pregnancy stuff yep. at the moment. Cause it just knows I'm pregnant. <laughs> um, I feel like there is a lot of emphasis on don't forget about yourself yep. in the postpartum journey. Yep. Like it's not just about and also, um, I see lots of education for people that that are surrounding the pregnant person, mm. as in don't forget about them yeah. and just focus on the baby. Yes. You need to focus on them and nourish yep. them and make sure, you know, they've just gone through a massive mm. transformation. <laughs> I think there's something in China yeah. these days where I think there's a the six week period where women go to like, imagine like a health retreat or a day spa I for read six that weeks somewhere. and they literally have nannies on tap but it allows the mum to recover in all that six weeks all prepared. the food all the massages all the everything um, amazing. which seems like a pretty good concept that I think more countries should take on yes it sounds <laughs> <But> lovely <laughs> no I think you're right that the advocacy and the education is definitely getting better just like with most things you know there's easier ways to get the information out there yeah. um, but I still think it's definitely something that mums aren't prioritizing saying that as a non-mum okay so why so why aren't I out of the woods you're not out of the woods because so I mentioned before that the pelvic floor muscle has two layers Mm. and one of those being the like the superficial layer which means closest to the skin and, and that layer is involved in the kinking like the stopping of urine the holding in of farts those sorts of things um and then the deeper layer so the the layer closer to your um, the insides that's involved in the the structural sling of the organs mm-hmm. and your bub is currently sitting on them yeah and and pulling on them and of course yeah I didn't even think of that yeah so yes you don't have to go out through that superficial layer but over a nine month period your muscles are taking on stretch and length um that you know is a lot more than what they usually hold in everyday life like you don't have a well at the moment I know he's about 2.2 kilos and that's just bub that's crazy there's no fluid or placenta placenta or anything like that so there's lots of kilos of force going through Mm. that layer of pelvic floor and if you think about it um I always use an analogy of a a Swiss ball being slung up in the middle of a room and you've got four slings that connect to that Swiss ball to string it up and if you think, think of those strings coming from the corners of the room onto the ball, they're your superficial muscles. And they, as that ball starts to get heavier, the ball starts to drop and those strings start to lengthen. Yeah. But what you can do is if you imagine someone underneath that ball holding it up with their hands, that person is the pelvic floor muscles. And so if the pelvic floor muscles 
respond to this increase in load as your bub grows by getting stronger and being more active, it takes up the slack of what the strings are trying to maintain and so you kind of prop that swiss ball up a bit higher so those strings aren't as on stretch yeah um so that when bub disappears and you've got this emptiness those those stretch structures like well why am i hanging so low (laughs) there's no reason now yeah (laughs) yeah and so they can recoil definitely but if they're not pushed in that direction what are they getting recoiled by and so Mm. women who have cesareans are still really like you're still at risk of pelvic floor dysfunction if you're not actively doing pelvic floor um, exercises because of that just like your abs have that stretch and um, widening process so does your ligaments and your pelvic floor muscles and so you need to encourage the direction back where they were before this is not meant to instill fear in anyone including you (laughs) (laughs) no I've actually I've been really surprising myself I'm pretty calm about the whole thing yeah. like it's just it is what it is yeah um, you're not the first person to have a baby yeah kind of thing. like, like it's been else, done before <laughs> yeah everyone else seems fine mm. so but yeah it's interesting I um so okay say I've been maybe working a little bit too hard trying to get everything organized before yeah, you sound like a business owner <laughs> yes yes spoke about that in that episode i was <laughs> telling you about that's already come out about maternity leave doesn't quite exist Mm-mm. for a small business owner which you might find out one day yeah <laughs> um and so you're trying to cram everything in and you're like damn it i've missed the boat to mm. do the pre mm-hmm. physio women's physio checkup yeah. when after baby's been born yeah is the optimal time to make that appointment six weeks is I guess this magical number that people talk about and I recently wrote a blog on my website because I see a lot of um stuff on social media about this six week time frame that a lot of new mums struggle with the expectation that comes along with that that I know I think health professionals have thrown out this six week number and so as soon as you're past six weeks you're cleared for this you're cleared for that blah 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 but mums aren't clear like six weeks is nothing six weeks Mm. is still very early but what happens in six weeks at six weeks pardon me and why medical professionals always refer to it is because of the physiological and the anatomical changes that happen in a woman's body postnatally including things like your uterus um, it's called involution which is when your uterus shrinks back to its normal size that takes six weeks so before then it's kind of still hanging out nice and high Um, as well as hormonal changes as well as cardiovascular changes that all kind of normalize by six weeks which means that we can start to then take steps to return back to a level of fitness that you want to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so six weeks is a point where um, on the side of cesarean mums, it's when scar lines are most likely, they heal by six weeks usually, if there's yeah. nothing that goes wrong. So we can start to implement things like scar massage and scar mobility to help with that recovery. Um, and for vaginal deliveries, six weeks is sort of if you've had any tearing or stitches as well, those have healed and we can start to do some, um, work around that area too without, and six weeks is also a nice number because the postpartum bleeding, the lochia that happens usually takes about five to seven weeks to stop. And so that's kind of that lining shedding, 
um, from inside your uterus. And so if that's finished, then we kind of are at a point where your body's, you know, kind of ready to, like I said, take steps to start recovering. So six weeks is the recommended time, but I did a home visit for a mum who had a baby um, late April and she wanted a three-week postnatal checkup, um, which is totally fine because she had concerns, she had questions and she does want to get back into exercise. So there are so many things that we can do from day two um, if you want to Mm -hmm. and if you're ready to. Um, So, yeah, we sort of it, it can be as early as you want. But around six weeks is the best time because we can sort of do a lot of stuff then because physiologically and anatomically things have occurred and which allows us to make the most of your body's amazing ability of recovering um, to sort of, yeah, jump in on that process. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's whenever I talk or have someone in the health industry come on to the pod, I get all these specific questions Mm. and you realize that a lot of them cannot be answered with a flat spiffy answer. Yep. It really just just depends on the person. So individual. And I've found this even asking a lot of dance teachers and studio owners, like, when did you stop teaching throughout Mm. your pregnancy? Because I've just been fascinated, you know, like when, when did you stop? Because, you know, when I was around 12 weeks, I was like, how's this going to go? Like, I have no idea. And I didn't know how I would feel. And I've been really, really fortunate that I feel absolutely fabulous. Like I feel absolutely fine. But I know that that's not everyone's stories. No. And there was such a difference in anecdotal evidence of some dance teachers going, oh, I literally taught right up to the day I gave birth. Um, It was interesting. I had a few people who had that answer who – for example, they'd plan their maternity leave that they would finish teaching Mm -hmm. and then have sort of like two weeks to nest and do whatever they needed to do. And they literally went into labor the next day. It's like their body just knew. Oh, some downtime. I know what to do with this. Yes. (laughs) Let's, let's let him, let him or her come off we go. And so that was really interesting that the body just knew. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you stopped teaching now. Off we go. Yeah. And then there were some people that were like, yeah, after 26 weeks or 30 weeks I needed to stop Mm -hmm. and they just listened to their bodies and so it it just goes to show though with health professionals and you know you guys are specialists in what you do for a reason because it really is attention to detail for every patient so most of the time the answer is I'm sorry we can't give you a spiffy answer on the podcast yeah because I'm actually about to look at in a second I did have some questions come through yeah Um, But most of the time, correct me if I'm wrong, the answer is you need to just book an appointment. We can't give you all the answers. Unfortunately so. And and that's same with recovery times too. Like we have beautiful guidelines that talk about return to running after post, after birth, pardon Mm. me. Um, And they say 12 weeks. But if I'm dealing with a runner who competes on an international level who ran up to 38 weeks, she's not going to wait 12 weeks to run. No, no way. And so the guidelines. It's and like how I'm not going to wait 12 weeks no. to, uh, to uh, teach again. <laughs> I hope you're not going to wait 12 weeks for your postnatal assessment, but that's okay. No, I promise I won't. Um, yeah, so it is so individual and it makes it hard to give out information and get, but I think it just advocates for people to come and get their assessment and get their individualized plan for their 
body and for their goals too like some people i tell them like they're allowed to run till 12 weeks and they're like i don't want to run till 20 weeks like that i don't ever want to run again (laughs) yeah literally and so it's so individual yeah um and just ensuring that your body is ready for whatever goal you have and it can take steps to make yeah to get there yeah Okay, so I do have some yes. listener questions. Let's dive in a little bit. There's only a couple. Um, there was a few people. It's so funny. They obviously didn't read what your specialty was. So the questions... Hit them at me anyway. I'll take a stab. Yeah, <laughs> we could we could do that. Um, I actually got Sarah to answer a few of them actually when yeah. she came in earlier and we did an episode. Um, so just really simply, safety considerations for dancing prenatal and postnatal. Yeah. Um, Personally, I had to think about this way before I was even thinking of having a child Mm -hmm. because I would have students come in and say, hey, Georgia, um, I'm 12 weeks pregnant. Like it was so funny. There's so many clients I've had that have gone, I haven't told anyone else, but I have to tell you because they're like, my family doesn't even know, but I have to tell you because I do physical activity with you. What is your recommendation? So very early on, I spoke to a few health professionals and their advice was pretty much, just to continue doing what you're doing but mm. don't you know if you're not training for a marathon or if you're not attending three ballet classes a week don't start don't that. start yes but yeah. are there any and so that's pretty self-explanatory i yeah. think but are there any other safety considerations for dancing prenatal and postnatal oh, let's, would, let's start with prenatal i would say um just i guess depends like and excuse my ignorance to any sort of moves or things like yeah. that but um you're you're jumping like you're anything that I guess you're not confident in your landing abilities Mm. like we talk about um contraindications or exercises or activities that we advise against during pregnancy as Mm. um you know don't go skiing or don't go um like contact sports or horse riding or things like that just biomechanically that predispose you to risk of yeah yeah contact with your your bump um so if your partner dancing like and there's lifts and things like that i'd probably avoid that because your partner's gonna be like well you you know a bit heavier than the usual so (laughs) (laughs) for both of your sakes um and uh, like i mean going inverting yourself is not like going into handstands or upside down is not contraindicated yeah Um, it's actually encouraged uh, doing a forward lean inversion in the last couple weeks of pregnancy if you're going vaginally to help with positioning (laughs) so it's actually not a bad thing um uh, yeah it would be don't start anything you haven't done before Mm. um and if you're doing like a gentle beginner ballet class where there's no jumping nothing crazy no and you've been doing it forever you're not deciding to because i have had some emails from from potential new Mm. students who go oh i've fallen pregnant and I've been told that I need to stay fit and they want to begin ballet classes and I say oh please don't (laughs) yeah maybe just like a like we'll get you there when we can do things that will get you there postnatally like doing Mm. some other strengthening or um, gentle exercise Um, but if it's just yeah if it's I I wouldn't say there's many prenatal safety considerations out of sort of the really obvious um common sense ones yeah and just listening to your body and yeah and if it feels wrong actually you said right at the beginning of this episode like especially females just have this instinct yes of what feels good what feels what feels wrong or yeah it's like when I've heard a lot of 
people have said to me, you know, giving me advice, if, if you just feel like something's off, mm-hmm. you go to your doctor and, yep. you, and you know, Definitely. There, there might not even be any symptoms of anything, but yep. then there usually might be something if you feel that way. Yep. And so just safe to get it checked. So we just know. You do. And I think the other important consideration would be maybe the population of which participate in dancing do have a higher likelihood of or there's a high incidence of those with hypermobility disorders Mm. and through pregnancy those ligament um softness and laxity and relaxation that you get may be exacerbated in someone with a hypermobility so i think there's stats that i think it's seven percent of the general population will experience pelvic girdle pain during pregnancy but 26 percent of those with hypermobility disorders will experience it and they'll experience it earlier so in a case of pregnancy and hypermobile populations i would maybe complement your current routine with a little bit more strengthening and, and a guided program by someone who knows what they're doing to help provide that extra muscular support to your joints which mm. are being a little bit more mobile than they already were more mobile yeah um so that would probably be my consideration i love that like just just yeah just complementing what yes. you're already doing yeah. with maybe a little bit of additional strength and support i love yeah. that um, I've got here, it's so funny. I knew a question like this would come through. I've actually, I'm going to read one of them, but yep. this question has come through four times. Okay. Just worded differently. Okay. What exercises other than Kegels would you recommend for women who've had many kids to improve your pelvic floor? Um, it's exercises because your pelvic floor, like I said, is everything within your pelvic um, pelvic cavity. And so your pelvic floor muscles, one of their primary roles other than continence and slinging up your organs is pelvic stability. So they hold, you've got three bones in your pelvis that have to sit congruently together. Muscles within your pelvis are involved in that stability as well as your external muscles like your glutes and your inner thighs and your lower abdominals. They're involved in pelvic stability, but so are the internal muscles. Sometimes incontinence is occurring because your pelvic floor muscles are trying too much to do the job of pelvic stability because your external muscles aren't and so then they're fatiguing quicker and can't be continent so long way of saying this doing things like bridges like laying on your back and lifting your hips up doing things like um, lunges and all those other exercises will strengthen the muscles outside of your pelvis to help offload the muscles inside your pelvis yeah Um, so things like the glute bridge is actually very um there's studies and i can't quote them but they activate your pelvic floor muscles almost more than if you were just to lay there dormant doing a pelvic floor kegel so for those not knowing what a, a glute bridge is correct me if i'm yes, wrong yep. you're lying down yep knees are bent knees are bent feet, feet are flat, flat and you roll through the pelvis up yes. and down yes yep. super common in super. a ballet body conditioning class yeah yep. roll roll or not roll keep a neutral spine too yeah um or your side lying leg raises anything like that will help the overall stability of your pelvis and by offloading some of that work from your internal muscles then those internal muscles can focus more on the continents and let the external muscles it's a it's a constant balance and and pull like a tug of war between the two muscle groups and so other ex like general pelvic stability exercises are going to be helpful postnatally or after you've had kids 
Awesome. So um, I'm going to round it out with this question, which I think I actually don't know the answer to this. So the student does uh, regular ballet training three times a week, and they're also training for a half marathon. They're not currently pregnant, but in the future want to know, is that too much? Should they, will they have to tone it down a little? I mean, my, my personal answer is you'll probably tone it down because you'll just be tired. <laughs> yes. Like, and that's, but if you're not, no, like, mm. and I mean, some people train for a half marathon. Um, like when I did a bit of training for it through a program, it was three runs a week, um, of differing lengths and intensities. So if you're doing in that instance, three runs a week and three ballet sessions a week, that's six a week, um, that's fine. The national card. Yeah, room for one you've rest got, day. You've there. got a rest day. And if you tuck a ballet session on the same day to a run, you've got two rest days. But the guidelines for exercise during pregnancy are to get to, you know, 300 minutes a week of moderate or 150 minutes a week of Wait, vigorous. Minutes, you've lost me. Everyone no. knows I'm terrible at maths. What's that a day? <laughs> um, anywhere between 30 and 60 minutes a day on, okay. on most, yep. if, you know, preferably all days a week. So, if you're comfy and if you can manage the the energy demands and you're, nu- you're nutritionally supplementing that you're getting good sleep and you're not in any pain, yeah. there is no reason why you can't maintain that. And if you have any questions or you have any pain, you go see a women's health physio, which yes. you should do anyway. <laughs> and I think it's interesting too, um, as now someone that can comment on this, like with experience, I feel like first trimester I was okay um, you know, I was a little bit tired, but you know, just got on with it. And I mean, I was very lucky cause I didn't have, I only had two weeks of morning Nausea, sickness. Yeah. Two weeks. That's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> just happened to be the week of my honeymoon as well. So that was great. <laughs> Lots of wasted food. Yeah. Um, but then second trimester, I did fall apart for about a month or mm-hmm. a bit and felt very sluggish. Yeah. Didn't want to get out of bed, which is very unlike me. Yeah. And really you know, didn't, I was not motivated to go for my morning walks on the Mm -hmm. weekends. I would just crash from teaching all week and be like, I just need to sit in front of the TV and watch Grey's Anatomy. And then come third trimester, I feel great. (laughs) Like you just don't know. And everyone I speak to is completely different because everyone told me, oh, second trimester, you'll feel fabulous. And you've got this cute little bump and it's like the perfect size. Doesn't get in the way. Yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) I feel a lot better yeah. with my bump in third trimester and mentally and physically and, and motivationally. Can, and so to that person, yeah. like you don't know, you have to kind of be prepared yeah. for anything. And can I ask during that second trimester, did you pull back? Like, did you make adjustments to your schedule to suit that? So as a small, business owner, small <laughs> business life, um, I didn't really have a choice. Yeah. I, I had to keep teaching as I was you know, like yeah. feeling like that. Yeah. Um, it was very difficult to make adjustments to the teaching schedule. It was more that on Fridays and Sundays when I probably might sneak a little bit of work in mm-hmm. or, you know, go to my Pilates and do a walk and do another walk in the afternoon. Yeah. It became, I just want to sit in front of the TV. Yeah. Okay. And literally eat popcorn. Done. And not do much. Yeah. I'm done for the week. Beautiful, um, yeah. And you adjusted and, and you had that instinct to do so. So, so there you go. Yeah. I think, I think that is all the questions that were related to the topic today. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, it's just been an absolute pleasure talking to you. You've made me feel very guilty for, no. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to get my act together. Um, and what's amazing is that you do home visits. Yes. Tell me yep. about those. How do they work? So I guess when I was working in a clinic, I had, and it comes with the nature of being in a women's health physio role, but the cancellations because they Bob cracked it because they couldn't get in the car seat or the, the the most popular one was great let's book a Tuesday appointment because my toddler's in daycare on Tuesdays and so I just have the new bub and then of course like you'll find out and yeah. what everyone tells me is that daycare is just a breeding ground for sickness and so call up the morning of saying sorry my toddler's sick so is home so now I have two babies so I can't leave the house yeah. or in a cesarean case some um it is an admin note some car insurances won't let you drive for six weeks yeah and if you need to have an appointment before that they can't get to an appointment because partner's gone to work and so has the car and you're not allowed to drive so 100 it's getting more access to healthcare for mums and so i think women struggle like we said to make that appointment in the first place so if we can eliminate any barriers yeah i love that um the better and I always like to get to my appointments like 15 minutes early because then my mums will send me a message being like, Bob's just down, like let's strike while the iron's hot. <laughs> Cause, so or sometimes you walk in there and they're breastfeeding and but they're comfy in their own environment and yeah. if Bob's cracking it, they're not self-conscious because there's another client in the room next door. Or They've got everything they need. They don't they have do. to pack a yep. picnic bag to yeah, yep. get out and of the I, house. And I sort of allow three hours for what could be a 45-minute appointment because – it just gives a lot more flexibility to the the style and the nature of the appointments. So I really like the home visits and you think, sound amazing. <laughs> so they're great, but also of offer clinic appointments for people who need to get out of the house and they, they want to get out of the house. So I think you yeah. have to tailor to both. Um, people are going to be listening and wanting to know where they can find you, Kat. Yes. Well, they can find me. Um, I have an Instagram, so cat.pelvichealth. Um, I and have I'll share that as well everywhere. Um, I have a website of which um, goes through all the appointments in which I do offer. Um, and that's catmacarthaphysio.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll find me in their homes if they want home visits. Um, or they'll find me in a clinic in Rabina under the Bond Physiotherapy um, private practice. And there are a few days a week. So not hard to find. <laughs> Sounds good. Yep. I am going to have to opt in for a home visit I think that just sounds so lovely yep and have you over and then we'll probably have to do a follow-up episode definitely yeah <laughs> definitely but, um, I always ask my guests and because it's your first time on yeah I'm saying first time because I think I know you'll be back um hopefully yeah um what keeps you balanced I think what has always kept me balanced is having my head in multiple places it can seem scattering at some times, but I was always a uni student and an athlete. And then I was always an athlete and a physio. And I think I finished physio and I was so excited just to do, uh, sorry, finished my athlete career. And I was so excited just to do physio. And I actually struggled with the transition because I lost, I think that balance. Mm. And I was just working. And I think, which is why I've in the last six weeks decided to, leave the clinic I was at and start my own business because now I have this ability to come and do a podcast in the middle of my day after going to see a mum 
this morning in a home visit and then I'm going into the clinic tonight. And so I think being in different places allows your brain to take a break from each of those at different times and keeps you, yeah, I think that's what keeps me balanced is a variety of things. You sound very much like me, <laughs> like unable to sort of just focus on one thing. There's always, yeah. you function a little bit better yep. with a few things on the go. Yeah. Cause if something isn't maybe like if home visits are a bit quiet one week, well, it's okay. Cause I've got the clinic or mm. if something else is a bit quiet, you kind of get to step away from that and not sit in one headspace at once. It's like when I was training, if I had a bad session, there was nothing worse than then just going and sitting at home and waiting for the next session. I'd go to work and be a physio for a couple of hours and then forget about that shitty session I had that morning and you could move on from it. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. And it just goes to show too that, you know, and I always say this because a lot of people say your life looks really busy yeah. and you're the so-called balanced ballerina. <laughs> it, your life doesn't look very balanced and yeah. balance looks different to everyone. Yeah. And busyness looks different to everybody. Totally. If you ask my partner if I'm not busy, it's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not a good thing. I yeah. hear you. I have too much time. If I have too much time to think, it's yeah. like not a good, good yeah, thing. Yeah, if I'm not busy <laughs> externally, my head is very busy and that's not a good thing. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for no, coming thank you in. so much for having me. And it's so nice to do it in person too. Yes. Rather than Zoom. Definitely. Um, but um, Exciting yes. times ahead for yourself. <laughs> yes, very exciting. But by the time this episode comes out, um hectic times for yourself yes <laughs> very different i think yeah and i will report back yes <laughs> we will report back yes we will report back yes. okay thank you so much Kat. no worries thank you so much so we're jumping back on because i realized that i forgot to ask a very important question that i've actually been wondering about for months yes people keep telling me to get a belly band a belly band like a pregnancy like a band that holds the bump up while i'm yes. teaching and moving and being active yes so the whole concept of your abdominals creating more space for your bub um like a hundred everyone gets worried about ab separation but a hundred percent of women will have ab separation it's just and it's not they don't separate so the wording is wrong but they widen the the midline of your abs widen to make room yes um and because those ab like your abdominal muscles are on stretch they don't work as well um so the core compo- like your abdominals of your core component isn't as strong and supportive and so a, um like any sort of compression whether they're pregnancy specific shorts or I'll give my mum's tubey grip um that like a belly band just helps to offload those muscles while they are on stretch um to help reduce the amount of widening or stretch okay. everyone is different with how much they grow and what their tissue quality is like and so it's and so, so this is for prenatal this is prenatal yeah because i saw some not research but just comments mm. about that it it can suffocate's not the right word what's the right word um, squish squish um your no so your cut off circulation that's the word i'm looking for no i mean depends how tight people like binding is probably not appropriate but your bub is currently 
making its own room. Like he's good. Because it, <laughs> I teach a, a really um, important exercise is this exercise called hug the baby. And it's mm-hmm. about um, engaging through your pelvic floor and your abdominal muscles. And if you look at someone's side on doing this exercise, you can actually make someone who's 34 weeks pregnant look like they're about 20 weeks because you- I do that in my Pilates class. Beautiful, thank you. Yes. <laughs> and that exercise turns into hug the belly day zero after birth so you keep doing it um your bub will make room if it needs room yeah um so a comfortable level of compression is quite good for that support a lot of women will also have it if they're getting pelvic pain just to help provide that external compression to their joints and which their muscles aren't quite keeping up with okay um but postnatally belly bands or compression are in in the research better for recovering from ab separation compared to doing exercises alone so if you were to pick one thing exercises or compression you pick compression i would advocate for both yes (laughs) but if you are time poor and you have to pick one you pick compression because you don't have to necessarily think about it either and make space oh god yeah exactly pop it on and off you go yes because i guess over nine months your bub's been inside your belly pushing in like from the inside pushing out and stretching those tissues which is Mm. natural and it happens it's not to be scared but in an instant bub's gone and your belly's sort of hanging out and you will still look pregnant after birth and your belly's hanging out in that space because it's said, hey, you've asked me to make room and grow and stretch. And, and now then, what do you want from me? And now what do you want from me? So you get the external bracing from a belly band or tubi grip or pregnancy postnatal recovery shorts, whichever way you go. That from the outside tells you this is where you're going. You're coming back in. Okay. So that's where that compression is good to help encourage those muscles to return back to their like uh, like their pre I want to say pre baby levels because I don't yeah. like the, that term but help you go back in that direction after all that time being pushed yes outwards so because I looked at like all the SRC yes. recovery shorts and I've had yeah. people tell me that they're phenomenal yes. and to get a pair the problem is I'm really fussy about my yeah my active wear yep. and I was looking at them and I was like they just look so uncomfortable mm. and then I kept thinking about well if you have to keep wearing those every day, like obviously with, with breaks, then I have to keep washing them and putting yep. them on and washing them. It's very expensive. On. Very expensive. Yes. So I, I was thinking the belly band might be the go. Yep. Yep. I, and that's why, like I mentioned, tubi grip is something I give to all my mums in their birth prep appointment. And that's basically like a, and if you've seen, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that skin colored tubular like yes. bandage yep. that people put around their elbows or their wrists, mm. there are sizes that go as big as pregnant bellies um and so you literally wear that and it sits just on your stomach so you can go to the toilet you can wear a summer dress or any layers on top of it without and it's a bit more lightweight and you've done a brilliant job having your baby in winter because i have to (laughs) oh i planned that i have to convince my (laughs) my mums who had their babies on the gold coast in january to wear this tubi grip and they're like cat i'm rocking a bikini and that's it (laughs) um so that compression helps with that abdominal recovery yeah um, because your muscles are elastic and they will recoil yeah but they just need to know where they're recoiling to after a c-section do you have to wait a certain amount of time before you strap on a belly band nope um just depending on what the there are specific 
um, belly bands for cesareans and okay. there are specific recovery shorts for cesareans that have little pockets in built in them you can put ice packs nice. in along the cesarean scars there are specific ones um but the tubey grip is fine for either or and it's just making sure that you've got no level of compression along the line of the scar okay um to help with that can't believe i forgot to ask you that because honestly that was like one of my top questions yep. i think it was because it was my first we talked so much about question. pelvic floor we forgot to look up <laughs> i know and i forgot to just go into some of the 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 tools yeah <laughs> like the actual stuff yep. that we we don't of, have to do you just put something on <laughs> yeah like and I mean I was kind of thinking are we just getting sucked into buying this stuff mm. or is there some legitimate reason for it so that's yep. good to know but um so I'll be looking up my belly band yes <laughs> thank yep. you again no worries. we're done now <laughs> excellent <laughs>